Welcome to episode number four of the Low Angst Library podcast. Today, we have an interview with K.M. Newhold. I'm your resident librarian, Lee Blair. This library is your stop for all things light, fluffy, funny, sweet, spicy, and everything in between. I not only publish low-angst queer romances, but I'm a voracious reader of them too. I created this podcast because I wanted to talk to other authors who write romances with main characters who identify as LGBTQIA2S+. Because I wanted to learn more about what draws them to writing on the lighter side of angst, learn more about their books and their writing processes. I'm pumped to share my interview with KM Newhold today. We talked about planning book series, low angst motorcycle clubs, and how Kyleen moved from writing high angst to finding her sweet spot on the lighter side. KM Newhold is a complete romance junkie. Bisexual and polyamorous, she often describes herself as being in love with love. She loves to write stories full of bearded cinnamon roll men who get super swoony HEAs. Her philosophy is there's so much angst and sadness for LGBT characters in media. All she wants is to give them the happiest happily ever after she can with little angst, tons of humor, and so much steam. KM fully admits to her tendencies of making sure every side character has a full backstory that will likely always lead to every book turning into a series or spinoff. When she's not writing, she's a lion tamer, an astronaut, and a superhero. Just kidding. She is likely watching Netflix and snuggling with her huskies while her amazing husband brings her coffee. Okay, on to the interview. KM Newhold, Kyleen, thank you so much for hanging out with me in the Low Inks Library. I'm excited you're here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Awesome. I would love to just jump in and find out from you what got you into writing books and romance specifically. I've been writing like as long as I can remember, honestly. Like when I was a little kid, even my mom would get me these blank books from the craft store. And I would mostly at that time, it was pictures, you know, picture stories and a couple words, like making little children's books for myself, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been writing pretty much as soon as I could figure out how to put words together to make any sense. I was writing. When I was in high school and stuff, I mostly wrote a lot of like high fantasy. I was a Lord of the Rings girl. You know how it is when you're young and writing pretty much Lord of the Rings retellings. So I'm, you know, I'm brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> then as I got into my 20s and I was still just kind of writing for fun, you know, in between taking classes and working and all that and just kind of a side hobby. And I started reading a little bit more romance versus the fantasy and the sci-fi that I'd been reading when I was younger. And I kind of realized that when I was writing my own stories, that writing the relationships, you know, because there always would be like little romance, side romances inside these fantasy and sci-fi stories I would write. I realized that that part was actually my favorite part. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to try my hand at writing just a romance and see how that goes. And that was the first book that I fully finished and, you know, wrote the whole thing. I was like, all right, I guess I'm a romance writer <laughs> and just kind of took off from there and fell in love with the genre and never left. <laughs> I love that evolution of yeah. just kind of uh, doing it when you're a kid and then just navigating through different genres and everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's one of those things I think for a lot of people probably changes as you kind of 
grow up and figure out who you are as a person and all that. And I still love fantasy, sci-fi, I'm a big horror person. But yeah, romance, I just, I've always been kind of a hopeless romantic at heart. So it made a lot of sense for this to be my home in literature. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) And I'd love to know what drew you specifically to writing low angst, especially since you used to write kind of more heavier angst. What was that transition like for you? That was definitely a bit of an evolution as well. So when I first got into writing and was transitioning into MM and all that, I think we're all learning a lot when we're baby writers. (laughs) And to me, you get a lot of advice and you see a lot of people say that the story is in the conflict. And so I would focus on that. Okay, what are the conflicts? How can I make this super emotional? Because if it's super emotional, then it's going to stick with readers and they're going to like that. Uh, Basically, I kind of had in my mind that angsty stories that are really, really emotional are good stories. That was sort of what I focused on. I did have one book early on, and that was actually the second MM that I wrote, and it's Going Commando, which is one of my most popular ones. Naturally, I didn't find a lot of angst in those characters or in that situation. Like, it just didn't feel right. They were just kind of easygoing characters. So I just wrote it the way it felt right. And it ended up being just really lighthearted, funny, no conflict, pretty much between the characters to the point that when I gave it to the editor I had at the time, she (laughs) emailed me back and she was like, this is not even a story. Nothing happens in this story. You cannot publish this. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, but I'm going to anyways. And it became my most popular book for years and years. I mean, even still today, readers are obsessed with one of the main characters, Royal. Like, it's one of my most popular, most talked about books. And so after I kind of finished my first Heathen Dink series, which is mostly pretty angsty, except for Going Commando, I was sort of trying to figure out what came next. And I was writing some more super angsty stuff. I wrote a Rockstar series that was really heavy angst and a couple standalones that were super angsty. But they just weren't, like, hitting readers the way that I wanted them to. So I was examining my career and thinking about what's going to come next, what series should I work on now. It occurred to me that readers still, it had been probably over two years since I'd published Going Commando at that point, they were still talking about Royal constantly. They were still talking about that book. It was still the one that everybody brought up, everybody talked about. It was posted about in my reader group constantly. And so I thought to myself, you know what, why don't I just try some more low angst? And if that doesn't hit either, then I'll figure it out from there. I think the first like consciously on purpose low angst that I wrote was Rocket Science. That one just exploded. It was another one that readers absolutely fell in love with. And so it just drew me to realize like, I think this is number one, where my talent is. And number two, what readers want from me and what I really love writing. So I sort of just leaned into that and have been focusing on that ever since. (laughs) That's great. And it's so nice when what you like writing, what the readers like, and what your talent is all lines up because I see some people (laughs) posting like, oh, I would like to write high angst, but I struggle with that. Or I really would like to write lower angst stories, but everything that comes out of me is really heavily (laughs) emotional and intense. But I think you're so right when we're taught 
writing, whether it's in workshops or other things, when you're taught like writing a romance and some of that formula, it's yeah. it's the conflict. And you're right, like the, yeah. the conflict is the source of that arc, those story beats, like everything needs to center around the conflict between the characters yeah. and the romance. Yeah. I did a talk for um, RWA, Romance Writers of America. I did like a presentation about writing polyamory stories for them. And and they're largely straight romance writers, not gay romance writers. So I was sort of sitting in on the meeting for a little bit before. And that was their topic that they were talking about that day was angst. And, and how do you make sure, you know, that's where the story is. You need all the conflict. What more can I do to torture my characters? Your book's not going to sell unless you've tortured the characters beyond recognition before finally giving them that happily ever after on the very last page. <laughs> and so, you know, and like just thinking to myself, like, wow, that's no, I mean, that works for some people. Yes. But, well, no, that's not the only way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd learned that years ago. I joined RWA back yeah. in 2005 and I swear <laughs> it wasn't until last year that I had that low angst realization and I'm like, oh, I've got like 17 years of unlearning to do in terms of yes, how I've absolutely. internalized. Yeah, it's so drilled in there. Yep. Even anything you learn about, you know, writing, what are the beats of writing romance? Like everything is just focused on how miserable can you make your characters so that they're, <laughs> they're happily ever after as well. Or like sometimes it's nice just to have a story about people falling in love. <laughs> Yeah, and it just gives readers more options so exactly. that whatever yep. mood they're in, whatever angst yep. level they want, they can find what they're looking for. Exactly. And you're always going to need that palate cleanser after you read a book that makes you cry your eyes out. Guess what? Now you can reach for a Cam Newhold book and just feel happy and fluffy for a couple hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that. And what does low angst mean to you? So we know how important it is and kind of the vibe that you put in your books. But what do you consider low angst? What are those tra traits and characteristics? Yeah. So for me, it's a couple of things. One of the big ones is that it, it's not going to be anything so extreme that it makes you want to cry when you're reading it. <laughs> so, you know, nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to be injured beyond recognition. Nobody's going to lose a family member. Nothing like that. Or if they do, you know, I focus on keeping the emotions more on the happy end. So even if they have a difficult chapter, by the next chapter, I try to turn things in a more happy light so that you don't linger on those emotions. It doesn't start to weigh you down. So I think that's a big part of, for me, where angst comes in when you're kind of weighed down with emotional stuff for many, many chapters in a row or for the overall theme of the book and that, that low conflict between the couple. So even if obviously they're not going to be declaring their love and getting married on page two, but the things that keep them apart don't necessarily have to be things that make you feel heavy and sad for them. It can just be normal little obstacles to get over that are a little bit more low-key and a little bit more realistic, almost like everyday life, the type of things that an average person would find in getting into a new relationship versus some of the high drama type emotions and things that you will typically find more in romance stories or in fiction. So that's, that's to me what low angst is. 
I feel it the same way. And what you said about it being kind of everyday situations and yeah. just sort of normal new relationship conflicts. I love right. that about low angst. And I really yeah. like how a lot of low angst stories tend to have higher communication and sort of yes. working through. And not that they all do or that they need that. Cause I like me as a person, I <laughs> am terrible if there's like interpersonal conflict. Or if I have to like tell someone how I feel in a relationship, (laughs) oh my God. But I, so for me, part of the fantasy of reading some low angst (laughs) stories is that they have the ability to talk (laughs) with I don't. (laughs) I was talking to my husband about it. Um, Yeah, I talked to him about my books a lot. And I was kind of telling him, I'm definitely in my stories, it'll be a situation where if there is a problem, by the next chapter, they're talking it out. As you're kind of saying, they're having an adult conversation about it and they're putting their feelings on the line and they're resolving it. And he was like, yeah, that definitely makes sense for you to write something like that, (laughs) because that's exactly how I am in real life. Like the two of us will get into an argument and within 20 minutes, I need to be sitting down. Okay, we had our chance to have an outburst. Now we're going to sit down and we're going to calmly discuss what it was that we were both upset about so we could hear each other and understand. I cannot let conflicts go on. So it makes a lot of sense that that kind of naturally evolved in my writing. (laughs) God, that's so healthy. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So before we jump in and talk about your books and writing process, I would like to know about some of your reading habits. Do you have preferences in terms of angst for what you read? I prefer to read lower angst stuff. I don't really like books that are going to make me cry, that are going to make me feel really sad and and weigh me down after I've finished reading them. I mostly stick to low angst stuff, funny stuff. High heat is a big one for me. It definitely has its place lower heat books, but for me, it doesn't really draw me in if they're not going to be getting it on quite often in the book. (laughs) So those are mostly what I gravitate towards. (laughs) And do you read while you're writing or are you a writer that can't read while you're drafting? I do read while I'm writing. I've definitely been in a bit of a book slump for the last year or so, but that's mostly because of my ADHD, not because of intentional purpose not to read as much. But yeah, I do. I think the hard thing is when I get into a book I really like, I get into the habit where I'd rather read than write. (laughs) So sometimes I try to limit myself if there's an author who I I know I'm obsessed with. Okay, I'm going to read their book this weekend. So it is done before Monday when I have to work again. (laughs) That's so true. I have that same issue. And I tell myself that part of it is, well, I'm just soaking up the vibes, like the low angst light vibes. And it's inspiring my writing because I'm immersing myself in it. And then I'm like, no, you need to, that's, you're making excuses. Right, I'll be sitting down to write and like, all I'm thinking about is their book. And I'm like, okay, no, I just got to finish that before. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh, same. (laughs) Do you have any low angst book recommendation of anyone you read lately or not lately? Yeah. Mia Monroe is always a big favorite of mine. We're good friends and we alpha read for each other. So our stuff's really similar in tone and vibe and all that. Some of my other favorites, if people like shifters and empreg, Amy Bellows is amazing. She has just the fluffiest shifter empreg romances ever. They always make me feel so happy. (laughs) Another big favorite is Stella Starling. She has not been writing for a few years now, but she's got a pretty decently big back catalog. And her books were all happy and wonderful. 
Spencer Spears is another one similar. I know he hasn't been writing too recently, but all of his stuff is just really feel good and always put a smile on my face. So those are a couple of my favorite go-to low angst authors. Love that list. I've got Spencer's Christmas, the first of his Christmas duology sitting at the top of my TBR to reread, (laughs) to put myself in like the Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, all of us perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk about your writing. Can you tell me about your writing process? It's chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) I mostly write series. So usually where I start is I come up with a series idea and I'll start by writing out what that idea revolves around. For example, the Four Bears construction series. I just write myself a little couple sentences, uh, you know, 40-year-old blue collar type guys who work together and are best friends and who own this construction company. Kind of give myself a little overview of what I'm thinking about. A lot of times I like to write out titles, taglines, things like that to kind of give myself a little vibe of what I'm going for. (laughs) And then I'll kind of start planning out the characters and picking out like what tropes I think each book will be. A lot of times from there, like I would have books, say I write down, you know, the four main characters I want to have and a brief idea of what I think their book would be. A lot of times there'll also be alternative ideas. So there might be two or three ideas for what book one could possibly be, but I know who the character is going to be. I sort of plan it out that way. So it's a little like chaotic, but focused for me. (laughs) And then when it comes down to actually getting into writing that specific book, I'll look at that document I made for the whole series and I will start thinking about that character I start typically by planning out, making sure I have a solid idea of what I want to do about the tropes. So whether it's going to be fake boyfriend, woke up married, second chance romance, whatever the case is with that, I write down the tropes I think it's going to be. And then I do kind of like a whole thought dump that's usually a couple of paragraphs where I will write out just the whole idea that I have as it's running through my head. That's usually very messy, (laughs) difficult to follow unless you're me, like blurred out of all the ideas. (laughs) And then I take that and I I turn that into a coherent outline, which I will then not look at again for a month until I'm stuck and I'm on chapter 20 and I'm like, what's supposed to be happening now? And then I look back at that outline I made all those (laughs) weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) and once I have the outline done usually I will write out the blurb which a lot of authors think is insane (laughs) but I like to have the blurb done so that that kind of gives me an idea of again sort of the vibe that I want to go for a lot of times it kind of helps me get an idea of like the character voice and just sort of a general feel for what I want the story to be. It's almost like a goalpost. Like, I want this blurb to fit the story when the story is finished. And then I just dive in and start working. (laughs) I love that. And I admire that you write the blurb early. That's actually something I was talking to a couple writing friends last week about as I was struggling to work on my own blurb. Damn it. Next time I'm writing this thing at the start so that I will have a draft. And then when the draft of the book is done... I won't be like, okay, I just wrote 75,000 right. words. But why can't I write <laughs> a 250-word blurb? 
Weirdly, I find it so much easier. So it's kind of like this for me. I also pick up my cover models first, and then I will write the descriptions of the characters from there because it's too hard to go in the other direction. So, you know, have this character in your mind to try to find someone who fits it. And for me, it's kind of the same thing with the blurb and the story. Like when I only have a broad idea of the story, it's much easier for me to condense that idea into a brief blurb than it is to take 70,000 words of this whole long thing and figure out, okay, how do I explain that in a concise way? Because almost it, it's too much and too detailed in my mind at that point to be able to condense it easily. So it just, yeah, it makes sense to me. <laughs> oh my gosh, that logic. Yep. <laughs> Sold. I'm doing it. I just started drafting a book two days ago yep. and I'm going to stop and I'm going to write the blurb. Do it. Yes, write the blurb. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you get your ideas and inspiration? All over the place. A lot of times from music, you know, I'll hear a song and one lyric or one line will hit me just right and it'll all of a sudden a whole story idea just explodes from my brain. <laughs> TV shows, sometimes Reddit posts, just everywhere. Everything around me just randomly sparks ideas. <laughs> That's great. Reddit posts are so good. So we're TikTok oh my gosh, videos. No, I, have, I have a favorites <laughs> collection on TikTok that has like 350 videos and it's called yeah. Book Inspiration. Like there's just so many things. <laughs> when I'm really desperate, one like surefire thing that I found is I'll go on Pinterest and I'll look for memes about relationships. And there's always something adorable or super swoony and that will ultimately spark an idea. So that's kind of my last ditch effort when I'm like, okay, I need to start this book today and I have no idea what it's about. I'm going to go on Pinterest and see if I can find an idea. And it works every time. Oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. I love that. (laughs) I'm going to have to try that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, this is a hard question. At least it would be for me, I think. What's been your favorite book or characters to write? Choose a baby, pick a child. (laughs) It is hard. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I mean, my most honest answer is it's always whatever I'm working on at the time. It's always my favorite because I think probably because it's whatever is the freshest in my mind. If I have to think back about an ultimate favorite, it's probably Daniel and Ollie from Screwed because their story just felt so special to me. I had this idea when I first started writing it that I wanted to challenge myself to write the most romantic book I'd ever written. And I really think I nailed it with those two. There was just so many, I don't know, like heart fluttery moments as I was writing it. I'm just like, oh, you too. (laughs) (laughs) I just, yeah, that book really stuck with me. Even it's been I don't know, almost two years probably since I wrote that book. And I still think about those two and smile. (laughs) It's such a good book. I love that one, too. It was very (laughs) swoony. That first kiss, that just killed me. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay, it's time for a (laughs) reread. Do you have any favorite tropes to write or read? My very most favorite is Best Friends to Lovers. That's been my favorite since I first got into romance. There's just something so special to me about this idea of there's this person that you already love on such a deep level, and then you find this new way to love them that you didn't even know you could. Like, oh, it just gives me goosebumps. I love it. So it's my favorite to read and to write. 
Um, Cause it's just, oh, makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah. And to explore like what that tipping point is and yes. how that varies from book to book of how the author yeah. finds a way to have that, have them have a realization or whether one or both have yes. loved each other all along in that way. I, oh yeah, I yeah. love that too. Oh, I love it. My, my very most favorite of that trope that I've read. And there's a lot, but the one that I always go back to for a reread, it's called Where He Ends and I Begin by Cardino C. It's just the most like soulmate level book I've ever read. And it's not perfect. It's not like perfectly written. It's not the most polished book I've ever read, but it is the most emotionally evoking book I've ever read. And it's just absolutely one of my favorites. I reread that every couple months because I just can never get all for it. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay. I'm going to add yeah. that to my TBR. Yeah. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so your four bears construction series, which you talked yeah. about a little bit so far, yeah. has been hugely successful. It's one of my <laughs> absolute favorite series, hands down. I am obsessed with it. And I love that you've developed an offshoot series with Big Bull Mechanics. <laughs> Were you planning the offshoot series or is that more of like a reaction to read or response to some of the secondary characters that you introduced later in the Forebear series? Yeah, it was definitely a reaction to read or response. Uh, I had hoped that Forebears would do well, but I definitely did not imagine it would be as loved as it is. It really gave me an idea of, of at least part of where I need to have my focus because those books just far and away above everything else I write, readers just go crazy for them. And so trying to recapture that magic and make, I think, 40-year-old blue-collar workers as a big part of my brand and keep those, you know, keep series going. I've got more spinoff series planned now to go into that universe. So yeah, it was not planned, but it was a happy accident and there were a lot of fun to write. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was that was going to be my next question was yeah. offshoot series. So, oh my gosh, yeah. as a reader, yeah. I yeah. am so freaking excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have a lot of ideas. I'm thinking about some different stuff. I definitely would love to write. I had introduced some bikers in book two of the Big Bull Mechanic series, which is Stroker. <laughs> Trying to remember, I'm writing stick shift right now, so it's like, don't mix those up. <laughs> In Stroker, I'd introduce some bikers, so I definitely plan to do a spinoff for them. I would love to do maybe some like lumberjacks. I would love to do some landscapers. Um, still thinking about some different other ideas I can do too. Some blue collar guys in their 40s. So definitely wheels are turning for future series also. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. When I was reading Gase's yep. book, I, and I saw the, the motorcyclist. I was like, oh, yep. <laughs> oh, is this an Easter egg? Are we going to get a series? Yep. Yep. I, yeah. I am planning that. You know, it's something readers have been asking me for a couple of years. Would you ever write a motorcycle club? And I always like when I think about motorcycle clubs, they're always kind of like grittier type books to me, you know, because they're kind of, you know, rough around the edges type guys. So I always thought to myself, that doesn't really fit the types of books I'm focusing on now. So probably not. But then I saw this meme that was talking about, it was like, motorcycle clubs are adorable. Matching shirts. Oh my God. <laughs> Little adventures together. That's so cute. And I was like, yes, that's the kind of motorcycle club I could write. Like, they're just adorable. <laughs> that is a vibe I am here for. <laughs> so yeah, definitely have some ideas going that I think will be a lot of fun to write with a motorcycle club that's just like 
They look badass, but they are just the fluffiest marshmallows ever. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> Can't wait. I love that. <laughs> and related, one of the things that I just absolutely adore about your stories mm -hmm. is your large casts. It's so fun to read them and try to kind of pinpoint who's mm -hmm. going to get a book. Yeah. And you mentioned this early on. It sounds like you, when you have a new idea for a series, mm -hmm. you do plan out that large cast from the beginning as opposed to characters just organically coming book from book? At least to a certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> so usually when I plan a series, I typically plan like four, maybe five books. But a lot of times as I'm writing, other characters will pop up who I did not plan <laughs> and they just kind of weasel their way in there. One example is in my Palm Island series, Raven who is like the psychic who owns the tea shop and is just like this gothy little witchy amazing guy. He was not in any of my planning whatsoever. And he just <laughs> popped up randomly when I was writing the prequel novella, The Real Deal. He just wormed his way in there. And I was like, okay, I guess this guy exists. <laughs> and even then I was like, all right, well, he's just a side character. There can be side characters. It's an island. There's going to be a lot of random people who don't need happily ever afters. But of course, now I've got an idea for him. So. Oh, good. Okay, good. I'm so glad. I love Raven. <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it's definitely a mix. You know, I, I plan, but then there's always those characters who are like, hi, yeah, nice to meet you. I need a book. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the readers are just so voracious yep. and they like really yeah. latch onto a character. And, yep, yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Porter also, I never intended for him to have a book. I just kind of figured all right, here's a guy who like can introduce a little minor conflict into a few of the Four Bears books by dating some of the guys. But then, of course, after I sent him out a few dates, I was like, well, he needs to live happily ever after now. Where's his guy? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so your Palm Island series, which has the best series branding logo, by the way. I love it. I love the uh, use of coconuts in the palm tree. So it's set in a luscious <laughs> tropical location. And I would love to know what inspired you to write in that location, because your settings seem to vary, mm -hmm. which I love. And yeah. specifically also the off-season angle to it. Where did that yeah. idea come from? For the past, oh my gosh, four or five years now, I have been going to, once a year, there's this little get-together with a small group of gay romance authors. We rent out a beach house on this little place called Island of Palms in North Carolina. We spend a week hanging at this beach house, like, talking together about writing and marketing and all kinds of stuff. And we walk on the beach and we do our work and it's, it's a blast. We do it once or twice a year and it's just, it's so much fun. And so I got the idea the first year that we did it, and I had to sit on this idea for years. <laughs> it was really hard because I had so many other things on my plate. We had been out to dinner the, like one of the nights when we were there, and I was thinking about it and noticing the waiters and the valet at the restaurant. One of the nights we had a chef come and cook for us because we were like, let's splurge to do something fun. There's a couple of different things that like people who lived and worked on this island which is right by the shore. There's just a bridge to it. It's not far up in the ocean like Palm Island in my book. And I just started thinking like about the people who live in tourist destinations and what do they do the rest of the year when the tourists have left for the most part for the season and the population dwindles down to just those, those locals who are there all the time. 
And what's that like? Like they almost know each other really well. They almost get sick of each other's faces and have to sleep with the same people over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) So the wheels kind of were turning on that. And ultimately, that's where the idea was born. Then putting it out in a more remote island where the off season is this sort of hard and fast thing. We're like, all right, you guys are basically stuck together now (laughs) six months of the year. So figure it out just seemed like a lot of fun to me and I've been having a blast with it so oh good I've been having a blast reading it and I am so excited for book three (laughs) dirty trick oh my gosh the way that you've been setting that up in the other books oh I cannot wait (laughs) yeah and that was a really fun one too um that is a book that showed me my own challenges with low angst writing in the sense of I had this idea where trick is a guy who I'm sort of hinted at this in the earlier books. He's had a crush on Boston for a while and he's a little bit of an idiot. And the only <laughs> plan he could come up with was to just steal every guy that Boston tried to sleep with so that at least Boston wasn't sleeping with anybody else. <laughs> Which, you know, is so ridiculous and so silly. But then as I started to get into plotting and writing it, I'm thinking to myself, well, all right, it's silly, but also that's kind of messed up. So having to deal with sort of the the conflict that is under the surface and sort of the elephant in the room as I'm writing it and trying to work through for myself, how are they going to resolve this in a way that is satisfying and realistic and isn't majorly angsty and, you know, totally off brand for me and all that? That's one of those times when I spend a lot of time in a Zoom chat with Mia Monroe, like, help me figure this out. <laughs> and, and I definitely feel like I got there in the end. I'm really happy with how that book turned out. But yeah, it definitely shows the fun challenge sometimes of writing low angst is keeping ideas that you have, keeping them low angst when the conflict is sort of there boiling under the surface. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited for everyone to get to read it. <laughs> Yay. Ah, I can't wait. Good. <laughs> So how do you go about selecting a setting for your story? So you told us about Palm Island and some of that, but mm-hmm. how about your other books? You've you know set one in New Orleans, you've had mm-hmm. a series at other places. What's that selection process like for you? Yeah, um, honestly, aside from Palm Island, for the most part, it's either the setting is not that important to me. I just kind of pick somewhere. <laughs> like Heathen's Inc. would set in the Northwest, and I was just like, I don't know, pick somewhere Northwest. Perfect. The Four Bears, you know, I just set that series and that universe in Wisconsin because I live in Wisconsin. And I was like, you know what? It'll make it easy. Like, I know everything about Wisconsin. (laughs) Aside from that, they're just sort of random. I don't really put as much thought into it as probably a lot of other authors do. But it's one of the things that has made it fun about the Palm Island series, actually, is I feel like the island is almost a character in and of itself. So that's probably inspired me to maybe think a little bit more about that as I go forward in future series, sort of giving a little bit more personality and thought to the location. (laughs) (laughs) That makes so much sense. I really like that. And I realized when I said set in New Orleans, the idea for the book came from New Orleans, right? Meet me there when you from your trip. I remember that from your reader group. (laughs) I went on a trip with Mia Monroe and our friend slash um, PA Abby. We just did like a little girls weekend. We had a blast. And and one of the last mornings we were there, we were out to brunch and we saw this guy who was like, whew, I love that guy. <laughs> and I was just happy to admire him from afar. But Mia, as bold as she is, like, 
as he was walking past our table, she was like, we just want to let you know that you're really attractive. Like, you're very clearly gay, but we just wanted to compliment <laughs> you so that you, like, we're not hitting on you. But just so you know, you're a very good looking man, which I'm sure you already know. He stopped and him and the guy he was with, like, stopped and chatted with us for a while. It turned out he is a model and an author and all the stuff. We had a really good conversation for 30 minutes or so. From there, I was like, spinning ideas <laughs> that really were very, very loosely related to him at all. Um, but definitely, you know, him and his friend who we met there were were an inspiration that kind of sparked this whole idea that I had for for Meet Me There, which was such a fun book to write. I absolutely love that story. <laughs> oh, it was a fun book to read, too. I really yeah. loved it. And that one has been a complete standalone. And so you have a few standalones and then you've got your series. Do you... <laughs> treat standalones in terms of writing as sort of palette cleansers or are they more just whatever you have a specific idea that strikes you just want to write it i would say it's more so when i have an idea that i feel doesn't fit with anything that i have currently in progress <laughs> especially a story like meet me there where the guys are sort of traveling all over the place it doesn't really fit with the series that i write where it's very tight knit tight knit group of guys who work together, who are best friends, you know, who just really are very close and spend a lot of time together. So that didn't fit for me with any of the series I was currently working on. So it made sense to do a standalone, although probably writing another book. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and by probably, I mean it's already plotted out and I'm going to start it next month. <laughs> so very probably. <laughs> very probably. <laughs> Actually, I would say the only book I've successfully planned as a standalone and kept as a standalone was Operation Meet Cute, which I published last year in 2021. Literally, like, there is one friend in that book, and he is married, and they don't talk to anyone. <laughs> they don't know anybody else. <laughs> so you boxed yourself in. I, I was like, this is going to be a Standalone. No like, friends. They, they don't even meet the mailman. Nobody. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> so you have written two books with transgender men in them. Yeah. I would love to know what the process was like for gathering input. I remember reading something about this in your reader group about like sensitivity readers and just checking the trans representation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the first thing I kind of did was I grabbed some books written by trans men, like with transgender main characters. So I could first get a little bit of a vibe of what they felt good representation was. Then, yeah, I had some sensitivity readers that I talked to a lot, that I had read the book, who I asked advice of, very personal questions that they were really, really kind enough to, to be willing to answer for me and help me out so I could get some really good representation. A lot of checking out different, there was a blog that I believe it was Jane Northcote had posted a link to that was a transgender man blogging about his whole experience of transition. So that was something that I read through and really absorbed a lot of and it was really good information and kind of a good way to get into the mindset and, and understand where he was coming from and his experiences and things like that, at, at least to the extent that I can as a cis woman. 
I wanted to do those characters justice. It was a little scary because I think all the other romances I've read that have transgender men have been written by transgender or non-binary authors. So uh, it was a little nerve-wracking, but I I feel like they've been well-received and I feel happy with the way I I did the representation and everything and all those. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I really like the thorough approach to just making sure that you've got solid representation (laughs) and there's not harm and that's wonderful. Definitely super important. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so what can readers get excited about? You've talked a little bit about this so far, but get excited about in terms of upcoming projects. Yeah, so um, Dirty Trick is coming in a week from today. So that one's really fun. That one is enemies-ish to lovers with sort of that underlying tension in there. Uh, I guess I would almost say enemies with benefits because they really don't like each other when they start hooking up. So that one's a lot of fun. Um, They can get that in a week. Dirty Trick, that's book three in Palm Island. I'm currently working on Stick Shift, which is book three in the Big Bowl Mechanics series. That's coming January 6th. It's a best friends to lovers with a bioawakening and lots of animal friends, which people I know really are having fun with, at least in the series and the spinoff series. They they kind of have a farm together and a a crazy cow and a bunch of alpacas and... (laughs) This is stuff I'm having fun with. So Stick Shift coming January 6th. And then I just finished up something this week that is a secret, but is going to be announced next week. That's really, really fun and really different for me. So um, if they join my reader group, they can find out more about that. Fabulous. (laughs) And what's the best way for readers to learn more about your story? So you've got the reader group and I'll put links down in the show notes Yeah, my reader group, New Holds Nerds, is probably the very best way. I post in there a lot. I post teasers every week and little snippets of whatever I'm working on and stuff like that. I also have my newsletter, which I think you have a link to, otherwise I can get it for you, where I usually send out once a week or every two weeks. I send out updates and everything. Those are the two best ways, I would say. Okay, great. And to wrap up, what can people expect from a KM Newhold story? Lots of men with beards and tattoos. That's top. That's 1A. <laughs> really generally low-angst stories with just a lot of feel-good, happy moments, high heat, good communication between the guys, lots of found family and best friends, and really just 40-year-old men acting like teenagers, pretty much, <laughs> is the big thing. <laughs> That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much. It's been such a blast to talk with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fabulous chatting with Kylene and getting to meet her at the Gay Romance Lit Retreat in October. Here's an update on all things KM Newhold books since our interview. Palm Island Book 3, Dirty Trick, and Big Bull Mechanics Book 3, Stick Shaft are both available now. Wild Goose Chase, which is Palm Island Book 4, is up for pre-order and will be out on April 7th. There's a link to Cam's Amazon page in the show notes. Thanks for joining me in the Low Angst Library. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Is there an author of Low Angst Queer Romance that you'd like me to interview? There's a link in the show notes and on lowangstlibrary.com with a guest suggestion form. If you're an author writing Low Angst Queer Romance, there's a self-suggestion form in the show notes and on the website as well. A major goal of mine with this podcast is to have guests writing main characters in romance novels 
who represent identities all over the LGBTQIA2S plus spectrum, and your suggestions will help me with that. If you'd like to financially support the podcast, help offset the costs of hosting, editing software, and transcription for accessibility, you can buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing episodes with your reader friends, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or another podcatcher you found the show on, or you can share the social media posts. You can find the podcast on social media at Low Angst Library. Until next time, keep reading.